If you don't mind, what I'd like to do is ask you to take your bread and your juice and slip it somewhere where you won't spill it. If you do spill it, not a big deal. Life goes on. But what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes to encourage us this morning, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But I wanted to do it in the sermon this morning rather than do it after the sermon. So if you want to kind of tuck it away, get your paper out that I gave you, and we can look at that. This morning's a standalone message. The next two Sundays will be standalone messages, and then pub church, and then we're probably going to go right into the book of Exodus. So be prepared for that when we get to February. So that you know, i say this now, the handout you have, you are not going to fill it all in today. I don't expect you to. My goal this morning is to overwhelm you with God so that you can then go home this week and look at all the verses that are there and reflect on them. So that's my goal. So if you're a, if you're a straight-A student who loves note-taking and you, and you feel like you're going to pass out if there's a blank on your paper when you're done... This sermon's not for you. It is for you. Don't do anything. Let, let the truth of this morning just wash over you rather than feverishly taking notes. Um, and then I will gladly, if you want, send you my notes if that'll help you to follow along and review or you can watch the sermon again later this week. So over New Year's, I was at my parents' house and my dad Uh, was going through some of his documents in his fireproof box. And one of them that he pulled out was my birth certificate. Now, all these years, I thought I had my original birth certificate that I used for all kinds of things you have to have a birth certificate for. But evidently, I must have had a copy. Uh, I must have gone to, I don't even know how I got it, but I got one. I thought mine was original. Obviously, the one he has is an original. So I looked at it. It says right on it, January 30th, 1968. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but it did to me because I thought I was born in 1969. So for 54 years, I think I've had the wrong year of when I was born. Talk about an identity crisis. I'm like, holy smokes, who am I? If the hospital got that wrong, or if my parents, or somehow we got it all mixed up, are they even my mom and dad? Did I get switched along the way? I mean, I was in identity crisis mode wondering, who am I after all these years? And answering the question, who am I, it is a very significant question. Because who you think you are impacts how you live your life. I mean, who you think you are impacts decisions. It impacts you emotionally. It impacts you mentally. And you know that the world is constantly telling you who you are, or at least who you should be. Or maybe if you're like me, I have voices sometimes in my head that I, maybe are mine and maybe they're the enemy that whispers lies and tells me things that are not true about myself or maybe are partly true. You guys ever have those thoughts? I am a terrible parent. I am, I'm just dumb. I, I can't do anything right. I'll never measure up. It's all downhill from here. Things are just going to go bad for me, and I deserve it all. And the problem sometimes with those thoughts is there may be partial truths in those thoughts, right? I mean, I will never measure up. That's true. But the enemy will then use that and and other lies to bombard you to mess up your identity, 
to try to jack up your thinking about who you are. So if I were to ask you this morning, tell me who you are, I wonder how you would answer. Because how you see yourself and think about yourself does have a direct impact on your life. And God has some things to say about who you are. Right? If we were to ask God this morning, God, who is Robert? God, who is Jim? Right? How would God answer? What are God's thoughts? And so this one is what I want to do for us. I want to literally wash over you thoughts that God has about you. How God defines who you are. How God says you are. So if God fills in the blank, you are this way, you should say to yourself, well, then I am that way. And so we're going to go through a whole bunch this morning of what I hope is encouraging thoughts about who you are so that you can battle the lies of the world who tells you your identity is wrapped up in being popular or successful or beautiful or having money or being famous or athletic or talented. That's not how God defines you. God has truth to say to you this morning that I believe will encourage your soul. So again, just receive these. Just let it it wash over you this morning. May God help us to see ourselves the way God sees us so that we can live the way that God has called us to live for him. So first one is simple. God created you in his image. So I would say, God would say uh, to you, and you should say back to him, I am created in the image of God. Do you want to say that out loud? I am created in the image of God. Genesis 1.27 is clear. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So every man, every woman, every boy in this girl, girl in this room this morning, you have been created in the image of God. Every person, whether they know Jesus Christ or don't, have value and dignity because they've been created in the image of God. This morning, you are an image bearer, which means as you walk this earth, there are communicable attributes of God that you have in you that you are to show the world by how you live your life. So you, you, you tell the truth, you're imaging God. When you are creative and you paint something or draw something, you are acting in the image of God. When you are generous or self-disclosing, forgiving or loving or patient, you are living your life in the image of God the way God created you to. And every human was created to image God. And this is not just generic But this is specific for you because you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe we say that together. I just like the wonderful phrase. I am wonderfully made. Can you say that? I am wonderfully made. Psalm 139 is clear. For you formed my inner parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. So if God created you as a work, you're one of his works, and all of his works are wonderful, then that makes you, you're wonderful. Somebody asked you this week, who are you? I'm wonderful. God says so. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. That means you are the exact person God wants you to be. You're the exact person God wants you to be today. He puts you here today, not 10 years, 100 years ago, 300 years ago. Today, he fearfully and wonderfully made you today to to image him as one of his image bearers. And as a created being, you are also dependent. 
So you can say, I am dependent. I am dependent. You are dependent on God. Acts 17 tells us, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. He is independent. And then he says, Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So God, the creator, is independent, but you are the created dependent image bearer of God. So your brain is functioning today. Why? Because God, God is working in your brain. Some of us more than others, but he's working. You're breathing this morning because of God. Your breakfast came to you this morning because of God. You had a bed last night because of God. Clothing and car because of God. Friend and family because of God. You are completely dependent on him. And he knows it. And he created us that way. So when you go to God and you say, God, I'm weak. I'm needy. I'm sinful. I'm tired. I can't. He smiles at you. And he says, I know. I created you that way. And I created you that way so you would depend on me. Because depending on me is the best thing you could ever do. So you're dependent this morning. Needy, broken, and dependent. The next several that I want to encourage you with come from the verse that's printed in your notes from Ephesians chapter 1. I wanted you to see it. So if you've got a pen or a highlighter, there's some things that we need to underline or highlight in this verse. This verse is just jam-packed with your identity. Jam-packed with how God sees you this morning. So let's look at him. Let's see what God says to us. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Now that phrase, in Christ, you're going to see in various forms throughout the rest of this passage. Paul uses the phrase in Christ or in the Lord or in him 164 times. Just Paul's writing 164 times. He's talking about your union with Christ. This idea that you are are bound to Christ. You are tied to Christ. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. This union with Christ opens the gateway for unspeakable blessings. Countless blessings. I mean, if there's a doctrine you want to spend time studying, if you haven't yet, it's the doctrine of your union with Christ. Because everything flows out of this. Once you have been united with Christ, look at all the things that he says. In Christ, so blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So because you're in Christ this morning, you have every spiritual blessing. Everyone there is, everyone you need, it's found in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you get them. And so in the rest of these verses, he tells us what some of them are. Here are some of the spiritual blessings. He says there are spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So you can say this morning, who am I? I am in Christ. You want to say that? I am in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you now have every spiritual blessing. You can say, who are you? Uh, I am someone who has every spiritual blessing. And what's one of the blessings? I was chosen 
in him, here we go again with that language, because of my union with Christ, I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Before Genesis 1 happened, God chose you. You're a chosen child of God before the foundation of the world. So there's a spiritual blessing. And then he says that we should be holy and blameless before him. What did he choose you for? So that you, in Christ, could be before God, holy and blameless. Do you understand? That means God right now sees you holy and blameless. So you can say, somebody says, who are you? You can say, well, I am holy and blameless. Say it. I am holy and blameless. So you've been chosen to be holy and blameless. And then he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. So I can say with confidence that who am I? I am loved. I am loved. Do you believe you're loved this morning? This is God's way of describing you. You are loved. Love the prayer that Paul prays. God's love is so high, so wide, so long, and so deep that the human mind can't comprehend it. And it's only because you're in Christ that you're loved with an incomprehensible love this morning. Do you believe that? I mean, sometimes I got to tell myself that because I don't feel very lovey, loving. I don't feel very much like I deserve love. And I got to tell us, no, I am loved. And I am loved. And, and here's, the, here's the proof in it. I've been predestined for adoption to God through Jesus Christ. So again, my union, through Christ, I have been chosen to be adopted as a holy and blameless child of God. I mean, you start preaching that to yourself, that's life-changing. Because the things I hear in my head on my own aren't things like that. They're usually the opposite that I hear. I hear loser and no parents and homeless and all the things that my future scariness I think about. Instead of realizing, no, this is how God describes me, predestined to, me, to be adopted, to be part of his family. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which was he blessed us in the beloved. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed in the beloved. I'm blessed in Christ, capital B. I'm blessed in Christ. I'm in him. So the blessings that are Christ are now mine. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. I am redeemed. Say it. I am redeemed. That means Christ went to the full extent in his death, by his blood it says, to purchase you, to ransom you, to, to purchase you back to God from your lowly, sinful, wicked, rebellious state. And he did it through his blood. And then he says, for the forgiveness of our trespasses. So guess what? I am forgiven. Can you say that this morning? I am forgiven. All of them, all of them, the ones that pop into your head right now, forgiven, they're gone, plunged into the depths of the sea, far as east is from the west. The record of debt that he talks about in Colossians, paid in full, clean slate. He has nothing against you anymore. You have been forgiven of all your trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So I am a recipient of God's grace. You're a recipient of God's grace. And not just any grace, verse 8, 
which he lavished on you. You're the recipient of lavished grace. You're the object of lavished grace. God has lavished grace on you. You should wake up in the morning and go, I got all this grace on me. I'm lavished in it. It's everywhere in my life. Because all these spiritual blessings, it has to be grace. If you think about who you are apart from grace, you'll have a sad story to tell yourself. But all these are based on grace that he lavished on us. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. Somebody asks you who you are today, you can say, I know a mystery. I'm a mystery knower. And what is the mystery? Well, at the end of the verse, he tells us it is to unite all things to Christ. Jesus is in this process of uniting everything to himself. One day that will come to full flourishing in heaven. But for now, he is in the process of doing that. That's the mystery. The mystery is that when I am united in Christ, there's these spiritual blessings that keep flowing down and flowing down and flowing down on top of me. And they all come because of verse 7, because in him we have redemption through his blood. It's because of his sacrifice for our sins. So what a good time to take the bread. Get your bread. This is the moment. The Lord's Supper is really meant for one thing, to remember and proclaim. We remember what Jesus did and we proclaim it. So I want you to take the bread and you can take your time and eat it. And as you're eating it, I'm going to keep preaching. And I'm going to keep washing over you with the realities of what Christ has done for you. So go ahead and eat. Jesus, thank you for your blood and your body. May we eat now and be spiritually nourished as we keep feeding on you and your word. Amen. Amen. So eat the bread together. The next thing that I want to draw your attention to as we're eating the bread before we take the wine or the juice is the reality that you are justified. I like to highlight that one, even though it sort of was woven into the last verses we looked at. But I, I love, I just love, there, there's words in Scripture that just make my soul soar. Justification's one of them. Justification is on the top of my list. And Romans 5 gives us a reason why. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We go back to the beginning. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood. You know, I should quiz you guys randomly. Justification is two parts. It is you are forgiven of your sins, which is great, but it leaves you morally neutral because you don't have the good stuff. And so what does Jesus do? He clothes you. You're in Christ. He imputes his righteousness to you. So when I'm in Christ, I've got all of Christ's righteousness flowing through me and around me. So when he says, I've been justified, it happened by his blood. Jesus had to be the sacrifice for my sins so I could be forgiven. And then he clothes me in God's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness, which therefore, according to the verse, saves me from God's wrath. God's wrath is screaming down from heaven to annihilate people who are not covered in the blood, who are worthy of wrath. And it gets diverted to Christ when you are in Christ, so that he absorbs God's wrath on your behalf. So there's no more anger. So when you hear the voice in your head, oh, God's angry at you. Uh, he must really be pissed today. Look what you thought. Look what you did. Look what you didn't do. You can say, no, I've been justified by his blood and his wrath is all gone. He drank the cup of God's wrath empty 
So I am free. So this morning you can say, I am justified. Say it. And you're justified by his blood. And you are saved from the wrath and the anger of God. So let's take the cup. Let's take the cup this morning. And let's drink the wine or the juice as a way of acknowledging that it's because of his blood that you have been justified and God's wrath has been averted. So go ahead and let's drink together. All of this leads me to the next thing that came to mind as I was thinking about who I am, and that is I am a saint. Do you know that this morning? Do you have that category? I am a saint. Say it. I am a saint. You are a saint. So many scriptures I could go to. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul writes this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. You've been sanctified in Christ. That means you've been set apart for what God has planned for you. And as a result, that means your title is now saint. You are a saint. So somebody asked you, you want to use that one this week? Hey, who are you? I'm a saint. They ask you what you do. Just say, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm a saint. And then tell them why. Tell them why you're a saint. That'll probably get their attention. Next in your notes, I wrote out 2 Corinthians 5, so you could follow along with this one too. So many here. So many ways that this helps us see who we are in Christ. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, there's the phrase again, he is a new creation. So this morning you can say, I am a new creation. All the old, ugh, you, and you know the old. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm aware of my old, that I don't want around anymore. The sin, the attitude, the, the, the things I don't do that I wish I did, and vice versa. It just, it's, it's hard. It's just depressing. And I have to remind myself, no, I am a new creation. All of that's gone. The new has come. And all of this is from God, who, here we go again, through Christ, because of Jesus, reconciled us to himself. So we've been reconciled to God. So you could say, I am reconciled. It's an identity. For you, I am reconciled. I'm reconciled for God. There was, there was animosity between us. He was angry at me. And either I was angry back or just didn't give a rip. And what does Jesus do? He comes along and he reconciles our relationship with him. He makes it right. He brings you to God. He brings you into the presence of God. So you can say, I am reconciled and reconciled to the degree that I now walk with God. I can walk into God's presence anytime I want through Christ who is in me by the power of the Spirit. That, that's the reality. You've been reconciled. There's no more animosity between you and God. And then he gives you the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We already talked about that. He says it here again. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So if somebody asks you what you do or who you are, you can say, I'm an ambassador. Really? To what country are you an ambassador? And you say, oh, it's a, it's a country that's going to last forever. It has the greatest rulers ever, and it's going to exist for eternity. Let me tell you about it. And you tell them about the kingdom of God. You've been sent as an ambassador for Christ. And then verse 21. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, 
we might become the righteousness of God. So somebody asks you who you are, you can say, I'm righteous. I am righteous. I am righteous before God. And then one more. Talk about freedom. You're free this morning. You're free from the law. You're free from trying to earn God's approval. Free from trying to earn God's love and acceptance. Galatians 5.1 tells us, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. To a yoke of you better be good enough to have God love you. There's no such thing anymore. You're free. So say it. I am free. I'm free. You're free. You don't have to perform and try to impress God. Thank goodness, because we could never do it. You can't impress him. So you're free this morning. So I think that's 21, after you corrected my numbers that were all messed up. There's 21. I've got more, but I didn't want to take all morning. But there's more. So as you're reading through your Bible this year, look for them. Look for them. Look for what God's word says about you. And then you've got to believe it. It's one thing for us to sit here and for me to say, this is who you are, and then you go, okay, and then you leave, and then tomorrow you know what happens in your brain, and you don't believe it anymore. Or you fight to get it in your brain. Or you say, I know that's true for the person sitting next to me, but not for me because you don't know what I just thought or what I just did. And you've got to fight that. And so how do we do that? How do we know that God is 100% committed to you believing who he claims you to be? Because he is. He is committed to that. But how can we have confidence? How can you have faith this week that you are who God says you are? So I want to answer that question because this is important. Because if you just stop with, I am loved, something's missing. You won't have what you need to believe it and to have it functioning in your heart. So here's how. Let me tease this out for a moment. God declares who you are based on who he is, not based on who you are. You understand what I'm saying there? I hope it doesn't sound contrary. I'm not trying to be. But God declares who you are over you with one really ultimate goal in mind. He's, he's telling you who you are and all these amazing things for one reason. And that is because he wants to show off his goodness. That's why. So on the right side of your paper, it says, because. Now, there's specific things you can add to them, right? There's specific things you know about God, right? You're loved. Why? Well, because God is love. But this fits, you could put this, this answer, we're going to talk about in a second, down the entire right side of your sheet. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, this is the reason God declares you all, their, all of these things. It's not because it's anchored in you, but because it's anchored in him. And he is crazy about making his goodness known. And so what does he do? He takes people like us that should not have that list of descriptions applied to them, and he applies it to them to show off, to show off his glory. And so let me give you a couple of verses to take with you this morning. Isaiah 43 says this, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, We've talked about that. You've been called this morning. Called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Why are you fearfully and wonderfully made? For the glory of God. It's God's way of showing off 
his creativity. Elizabeth's been doing some drawings with a neighbor of a horse. She wanted to learn how to draw horses. And they've been just drawing the eye. And they've been spending hours just trying to draw the eye. And they've got a, a picture of a real horse. And then she's got her, her, her drawing. And she's trying. She's like, this is just crazy how amazing the eye is. This is a picture of an eye. Trying to duplicate just a picture of the eye. I mean, this horse is fearfully and wonderfully made. But you are really fearfully and wonderfully made. And why? To show, God wanted to show off. He's like, I'm going to make humans so complicated and so amazing and how they're designed and their bodies and how they work that they'll go, wow, look at God. Because God knows, Tyler said it this morning, that when we go to God in praise for what he's done, it's the best thing for us. It is the very, very, very best thing for you. And so there are dozens and dozens of verses that tell us that everything God does for you, from calling you adopted, to blessing you, to saving you, is all ultimately for the sake of his praise. It's his way of being famous. He's like, I'm going to go public with how great I am, and I'm going to do some stuff for people. So they'll all see how great I am. And so look at Isaiah 43. He says this, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions, your transgressions this morning are all blotted out. Why? Because you're so good that God couldn't resist and so he blotted them out. Because you asked forgiveness enough times to get them blotted out. Because you've repented enough to get them blotted out. No. Here's the ultimate reason why I have confidence this morning that all my sins are forgiven. Because he did it for his name's sake. He did it for the praise of his name. He did it so I would go, that's insane. What kind of God is going to blot out my sins when I keep doing them over and over again? And he goes, that's the point. The point is I'm insane. <laughs> insane in forgiveness. Endless in forgiveness. God's trying to grab our attention so we go, this God is like no one I've ever met before. No human can do that. This God is breathtaking. He says it in Psalm 25. For your name's sake, the psalmist said, <coughs> God, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Do you ever pray that to God? God, I know I'm forgiven. Listen, for the sake of your great name, forgive me. Take away my guilt. I feel guilty right now. Please, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your praise, I'll praise you because I know I am forgiven. He's doing it because he wants to be praised. Because when you praise him, you find in your soul what you're longing for. And when you praise him, you're going to believe what he says about you. It, it works circular almost. You say, I, I believe this about me, but I, I know it's only true because Jesus and God are doing it because they want me to see how great he is. And then I see how great he is. I believe more and more of what he says about me. I mean, this is where life comes from. And this is what it means to be in the vine. You're looking to God because ultimately that's where this whole story is going to end. One more verse. And I'll close. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 1 says this. Actually, this is the one that's in your notes. You have Ephesians 1 through 6? Yeah, look at verse 6. I'll just highlight the phrase. After he tells us that you've been blessed, chosen, holy, blameless, loved, predestined, and adopted, verse 6, why does he do all of it? To the praise of what? His glorious grace. He does it so we'll praise him for his glorious grace. Once again, because it's good. He's not going, oh no, I need somebody to praise me. I'm getting weak. No, he doesn't need us. But he's like, look, 
If I had life, and I want to get your attention so you'll turn to me and see me and praise me for it, I'm going to do amazing things by redoing your identity so that you'll praise me and find the life you're looking for. So listen, don't make the deadly mistake of only remembering the first phrase. If you walk around going, I I don't feel loved, but I am loved. I am forgiven. I am justified. Don't end there. Complete the sentence. Because the power comes when you turn that to God. And you say, I am that way because God is great. I am that way because God is infinite in love. I am that way because God is endless in grace. And you take it to God. You finish it in God. Then you'll be confident to believe what God says about you. Because it's anchored in him. It's not anchored in you. So say it. You think it. Believe it. I am loved by God because God is committed to showing off the glory of his love. I'm forgiven because God is committed to showing off the glory of his inexhaustible forgiveness. I am adopted because God is committed to the fame of his, his adopting compassion for us. I'm redeemed because God is committed to the glory of his purchasing power in our lives. I'm free because God is committed to the glory of his slave-releasing grace. So take it to the end. Take it to God. Take those I end statements. Don't let them end with you, with the I am, but I am because God is. God is committed to his own praise. And at the end of the day, we then find ourselves not necessarily focusing on us anymore, huh? But on him. And that's, and that's the bottom line, right? Second Corinthians. Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are all being changed from one degree of glory to another. You behold him and you're changed. Your heart is changed. Your heart is enlarged. You find yourself loving the things God loves. You find yourself believing the truth about who you are and not believing lies anymore as you behold him. And so it's okay. Think about who you are in Christ, but then take it all the way to God. And that's because of who God is. Let it it fill your heart with faith for who God is. Let it enlarge your heart for God and who God is. So that one day, if you find out that you weren't born in the year that you thought you were, (laughs) you can say, but I know exactly who I am. And it's all because of God. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing all this to us, God. Such crazy good news. Insane. Who you say I am is so different than how I see myself. There's days where it couldn't be more opposite. I want to take the list on the piece of paper and, and actually reverse it because that's how I feel. And yet, God, you are truthful, and what you say about me is true, and what I feel about me is not true. And so help us, Spirit. Help us to believe what you say about us. Help us. Help us to believe that you are truth-telling, and when you say these things about us, those are promises that are true about who we are. And just may we use that to, to fight sin. May we use that to find faith and life for living each day as your children, as your image bearers. So Spirit, help us, I pray. Help us not to believe 
what the enemy tells us about ourselves. Help us not to put ourselves in the categories the world puts us in. God, you saved us for so much more than that. Help us to believe it now. Help us to believe it and live it. And help us to believe this for one another. Help us to believe this is true about our our spouses and our kids and our friends and our family and our parents. Help us to believe it's true how you see us. Help us to speak this truth to one another. God, so that when when we're thinking things about ourselves that are not true, someone else can tell us, no, that's not what's true about you. And help us, God. Help us to take it to the, help us to press it to the end and to know the only reason I, I am all these things, wonderful things, is because it helps me to see how great you are. Help us to see how, how infinitely, supremely unique and one of a kind you are, that you could declare things over fallen people that are so majestic and wonderful. And so enlarge our hearts, we pray. Enlarge our hearts with what it means to be in Christ. Enlarge our hearts with the glory of God. And may that inform who we are. May we see ourselves the way that you see us. And God, I pray specifically this morning for any who maybe have a long pattern of life. Maybe it's been years and years of believing lies about who they are, God. Whatever those lies might be, I pray this morning you would set them free from those lies. God, I pray that they would recognize that what they've been thinking about themselves is a lie, and may they take that thought and make it obedient to being in Christ. God, do that. I pray you'd set some people in this room free this morning from the lies they've been believing about themselves. And may they now, God, by the power of your Spirit, believe what is true about themselves. May they embrace it. May they praise you for it, that they can find the the satisfaction and the joy that their souls are longing for. And so do this work, I pray. And Jesus, right now, as as we stand together and sing, I pray you'd fill our hearts with praise to you. Pray that we'd recognize how amazing it is that we can live our lives with your definition of us and not ours. And so... Release us as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing.